publication is aired at 9 p.m. It's really simply this. It's your questions, questions that have been emailed in to me, and, and hopefully my answers. What I do is when I receive these questions, I first reply back my email with my answer. Uh, I usually set up uh, a, a follow-up, either my phone or my, my FaceTime or by Skype, and we continue studying together. I give, sorry about that, I give all of my people an opportunity to either have it aired on the line, online, or to keep it private. Now, everything is done confidentially, but they have the option of either me sharing my answers uh, to their question online or not. About 70% of them say, yes, I want you to uh, share it online with uh, everyone else. The question for tonight comes from a 45-year-old mom, a mother of four. Her question is simply this. I think I'm failing as a parent. Can you help me? As I said, she's a mother of four. Her oldest is an adult child. She has two teenagers, and she has one soon-to-be teenager. And the reason why she thinks she's failing is the adult child is no longer faithful to the Lord. In fact, the adult child has got himself involved in a lot of bad things. The thing that really haunts her, the thing that really bothers her is she is afraid that her other three children might go that same direction. And there's a verse that haunts her. It's Proverbs 22, verse 6, the one that Billy read. She grew up in the church. In fact, she became a Christian. She says she was about 12 or 13 when she became a Christian. And she has heard many lessons that deal with this verse. And she feels guilty, very guilty. She married, when she went to college, she met uh, her future husband. Uh, he was not a Christian. They married. He will attend with her some on Sunday, but that's about it. He is a good provider. He has a very good job. He makes uh, actually a lot of money. Physically, they have everything they would want. But he's never been really involved with the kids at all. And she worries. She's worried that all four of her children could become unfaithful. And she looks at a verse like this, and she says, either I'm failing as a parent, or God lied to me. Before I get into this lesson... I want to share with you a statement that I made back when I was just a parent. And now I'm going to make this statement now as a grandparent. 
If God was to come to me, now he's not going to do this, but if God was to come to me and say, Michael, I'm going to give you one of two choices. Either you can have your children and grandchildren all live long lives, all live to be a hundred. Each one will have a happy, prosperous life. But each one of your children and grandchildren will die outside of my family. None of them will go to heaven. Or, choice two, all of your children and grandchildren will die this very minute, but they'll die faithful to the Lord, and they'll be in heaven. I'm going to give you 60 seconds, Michael, to make a decision. I would say, Lord, I don't even need one second. Let them die. You say, whoa here. Michael, what are you doing? You see, that's how important the eternal destiny of my children and grandchildren, that's how important I view it. I want my children in heaven. I want my grandchildren in heaven. What we do as a parent is so important. In my heart, I have carried on uh, several conversations now with this woman. My heart goes out to her. Now, what I have told her is what I'm going to tell you tonight. We have confused, we have confused a promise with a proverb, and that has created a big problem. We have confused a promise with a proverb, and that has created a very big problem. Now, I'm going to explain that in just a moment, but before I do that, I want to introduce to you two other couples two other families. I'm going to change their names. They're very real people with very real problems, but I'm going to change their name. Let's call the first couple John and Mary. John and Mary have two daughters. One is faithful, very faithful, married a good Christian man, very faithful. And the other one is currently in state prison having been convicted of selling drugs. They take joy and pride in the faithful daughter and her family, her children, but they have a lot of heartache and sorrow in the other daughter. Their biggest struggle is guilt. It's guilt. They assume they failed with her. They assume that they were bad parents, and it goes back to Proverbs 22, verse 6. And many of their church friends, many of their church friends agree. Oh, no, not in words. They don't say it to them to their face, but you can tell by their actions. They believe that they are guilty. The other couple, let's call them Dick and Jane. They have one son, he's left the church, he's moved in with his girlfriend. Dick and Jane, they feel no guilt. 
woe here. They feel no guilt because they're confident that their son will one day return to God. They're currently disappointed, but they're confident of his return. Why? It's all based on Proverbs 22, verse 6. Does, does a godly home, does a godly home guarantee a godly child forever? What does Proverbs 22, verse 6 actually mean? Well, if you were to do a survey, uh, I would say that most people, most people believe that this verse, Proverbs 22, verse 6, that it promises that a child raised correctly will come back to the Lord eventually. They view it as a promise. But Proverbs 22, verse 6 is not a promise. It's a proverb. Promises. Promises from God are always true. But Proverbs 22, 6 is a proverb. The Old Testament is a Hebrew document. It's framed in a Hebrew culture. In Proverbs, Proverbs were very common in the Hebrew culture. Uh, for example, 1 Kings 4.32, it says that King Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs. If you go online and Google Hebrew Proverbs, you will get many, not just what we have here, but many other Proverbs. You see, you have human Proverbs and you have inspired Proverbs. Human Proverbs. Human Proverbs are general observations and are usually true, but not always. Let me give you one that you know. Fill in the blank. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. That's a human proverb. And yes, it's true that if you have a, a balanced diet, including fruit, that it will help you to avoid getting sick. So it is usually true, but not necessarily always true. Now, the book of Proverbs, those are inspired Proverbs. They're a little bit different from human Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is aptly named because it is composed of inspired observations about life. But these inspired observations are far from being universally true. For example... You can go to the book of Proverbs and you can find Proverbs that tell you that the righteous will always be honored. Always? No. I can give you examples of righteous people that have not been honored. You can go to the book of Proverbs and you can find a proverb that, that says that the wicked will fail. Do you know of any wicked people that succeed? Yes, you do. The book of Proverbs also tells us that the lazy will find no profit. Do you know that the lazy can strike it rich? 
by accident. It has happened in the past. The book of Proverbs are designed by God through inspiration. He inspires these men to write them. They are inspired writings that are generally true, but not necessarily 100% universally true. Here's what I mean about Proverbs 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6, the greater probability of your child being faithful is based on how they're raised, but you can't take it to the bank that they will always be faithful. Let me give you one example. Wonderful Christian family that I know they were blessed with the birth of twin sons, identical twin sons. Now, if you know what identical twin sons means, it means that that one egg split. So you've got basically the same person in two bodies. Growing up, I never could tell the difference between those boys. In fact, when they would date in their teenage years, they would sometimes switch <laughs> girlfriend just for the fun of it. Now, today, those twin sons are adults. One, one is a very faithful Christian, very involved in the church. And the other one has been in and out of jail and prison more times than I can count. You see, it takes more than just how they're raised. There's other factors that come into play here, like uh, their circle of friends. Where they end up living as adults. What job they have as adults even the strength and weakness of the local church of where they live can be a factor. And certainly who they marry is a factor. In the case of these twin boys, I believe that's the number one factor because the faithful Christian married a wonderful Christian gal, sweet as she could be, and they have established a great, wonderful Christian home. The other one, the other boy married a knockout. I mean, she was bonnie, beautiful. I mean, she was gorgeous, but extremely worldly, not a Christian. When they got married, she was already involved in drugs and pulled him into it. You see, who you marry does have an impact on, on your life. Now, let's go back to our two couples. John and Mary, the two with the two girls, the one girl faithful and the other girl uh, in jail. Their guilt is ungrounded because their daughters, each one will have to give account of themselves one day. John and Mary are only responsible for how they raised their children, not how they turned out. Let's go to Dick and Jane with the one son. Their confidence that he will return to God is unfortunately not substantiated. He may or he may not. Let's look at the verse. Train up a child in the way he should go. 
What does that mean? The word here, the Hebrew word that is translated as train, every other place you find that word in the Old Testament, it's translated as uh, dedicate, like you dedicate a building, uh, or a similar word, if, depending on what translation you have. It means to dedicate, it means to, uh, to devote. What does train up a child in the way he should go? What does it actually mean? Many people see it as training in the path of righteousness. And certainly as Christian parents, we are given the job of, of training our children. In fact, as a parent, that's job number one, to train up your child. Now, some people... Some people see it as training that aligns with the child's unique personality. Train up a child in the way he should go according to his unique personality. You know, every child is different. You know, if you have more than one child, you know that. I have two, and each one was very different. Which viewpoint is correct? I don't know. Maybe it's a combo. Christian parents must train a child in righteousness. We should really put forth an effort to train our children, but also Christian parents must adapt to each child's unique needs. And each child is unique. What does the second part of the verse mean? Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. What does that mean? Notice it does not promise a return, but indicates the probability of never departing from the training. For Dick and Jane, the couple with the one son, I'm afraid they're setting themselves up for a big headache and heartache if that child never comes back to God. Now, if we buy into godly homes, always guarantee a godly child, always. We set ourselves up to what? Unwarranted guilt that robs us of joy. It also brings unnecessary guilt to parents whose children are hyperactive, whose children have learning disabilities, whose children are emotionally handicapped, and whose children are strong-willed. I think you see that. You go to the grocery store, go to Walmart, you see children misbehaving, and what do you do? You already make a judgment call on the parents. Sometimes rightly so, but sometimes unjustified. And as adults, we can't blame our parents for how we were raised. It's a very common thing for people to blame how they were raised for what they do now as adults. We can't do that. 
We have to take responsibility for our own lives. Ezekiel 18, verse 20. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Who is responsible for Michael Cox? I am. You're not. I am. Each one of us is responsible for our own actions and, and for our own sins. And if we buy into that godly homes always guarantee a godly child, we also set ourselves up to foolish pride. Because if our child is well behaved, if our child goes down the right path, we may think it's all because of us. And we may discount the impact that God himself had on that child's life. Before becoming a parent, before becoming a parent, I thought I had all the answers. As a young preacher, I did a, a lesson directed to parents. I, I was not a parent yet. The lesson was called Ten Commandments for All Parents. Then after my first child was born, I, I came out with a, a new lesson for parents. I called it Ten Guidelines for Parents. Then when I got my second child, a little bit later I came out with a different lesson. I called it Ten Suggestions for Parents. And then when my two kids became teenagers, I did a lesson called Help. I'm a struggling parent of a teenager. You see, we don't have all the answers. We need each other to help each other shape our children for the future. You see, even the perfect parent failed. Think about this. God the Father placed two children Adam and Eve in a perfect environment and they sinned. Do you think God was a bad parent? No. It was Adam and Eve that sinned. You see, when our children as adults, when they leave the Lord, it's their decision. It's a wrong decision, but it's their decision. Now, don't get me wrong. We all have a duty to parent in a godly way. We all have a duty to be Christian parents to our children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What is 
the message. The message is we've got to be parents 24-7. We've got to make that message be a predominant message to our children. Ephesians chapter 6, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but what? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parenting. Parenting is a hard job. Advice and criticism, that comes easy. It's tough. So I'm not going to give you 10 commandments. I'm not going to give you 10 guidelines. And I'm not going to give you 10 suggestions tonight. I'm going to give you five easy ideas to remember as you work with your children. Number one, instruct verbally. Share with them God's Word. Make God's Word a, a big part of your home and make sure that they see you, they see you sharing the gospel with them. Instruct verbally. Number two, live authentically. Be genuine. Make sure that they can see the gospel living in you. Make sure they can see Jesus as part of your life. Number three, love patiently. Be patient with them. It's easy to, uh, to blow your stack. It's easy to get a little angry. It's easy to, uh, to lose it. Love patiently. Number four, discipline carefully. Each child has to be disciplined in the way that fits that child. Discipline carefully. Your rules should be fixed, not floating and changeable every day, but something that they can understand and that you can enforce. And then number five, give them roots and wings. Give them roots. Give them a foundation. Give them a foundation of God's Word. Give them a foundation of faith. And then give them wings. Allow them, as they leave the home, to establish their homes. Give them those wings that they can then leave and come back whenever they have a need to. It says in Jeremiah chapter 9, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. And for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That's where we boast. We boast in Jesus. We boast in the Lord. For the woman, hopefully I've given her some things to think about. Uh, hopefully I've given her some hope. And hopefully she doesn't feel as guilty as she once did. I'm praying for her family. I'm praying for that 
for that child who's no longer faithful. I'm praying now for those other three children. And I want that woman to feel good about God. Are you a Christian? Will you listen to Jesus? Believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Those are words from our Lord Himself. As a Christian, as a Christian, do you need to seek His forgiveness? 1 John 1, 9. The church here wants to pray with you and for you. James 5, 16. Tonight, tonight will you make a, a decision about your life? Remember, the best way is that example. If we want our children and grandchildren to be faithful, we've got to give them that example. How about you tonight? Will you please come? Will we stand and sing for your encouragement? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Why can't make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the Nine hundred fifteen. When we walk with God.
Don't forget that uh, there are cards out in the foyer for our visitation group. Please take a few moments out of your evening to stop by and sign those. Uh, they mean so much to those that can't be with us. Bow with me, please. Our God and our Father, we humbly bow before you, Lord, so thankful for another day, another opportunity to gather together as your children, to approach your throne of grace with our prayers and our supplications, to worship you, to sing praises to you, to hear a portion of your word, your instructions for our lives, and Lord, most of all, to remember your son and the sacrifice that he made for us, for the hope that we have of eternal life with you. Lord, we pray that you would be with those of our congregation, our friends and our loved ones that are suffering. We pray that you would watch over them and care for them. We pray that you would be with those that sit by their side, that you would give them comfort and strength during these difficult times. Lord, we pray especially for those that are suffering spiritually, those who are striving for an understanding of your word, those who are dealing with personal issues that are <clears throat> keeping them separate from you. Lord, we pray that you would watch over them. We pray that you would use us as your instruments to encourage them, to instruct them, to lift them up. And Lord, we pray that we would all live faithful and productive lives in your kingdom all the days of our lives. Lord, we continue to pray for our country. We pray, Lord, as we see an election approaching that we would be active in selecting men and women who will make decisions on our behalf in a godly manner that would adhere to your word that we may once again call ourselves a Christian nation and that our principles and our lives and what this nation reflects would show that to the world. Lord, we pray for those that stand between us and those who wish to harm us. We ask the Lord for your protection upon them. We ask for your guidance for them. We thank you so much for their service. And Lord, we thank you so much for those that support them. And we pray for your comfort and your peace be upon them. Lord, as we depart here as your children, we pray that we go into our, our community as lights. We ask you for the courage to <clears throat> Be the carriers of your word you have commanded us to be. We ask for the humility that we need to subject ourselves to your word. Lord, we pray for the wisdom to go to your word for its guidance for our lives. Forgive us, we sin, O Lord, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>